Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I am excited for this conversation with my friend uh, Patrick Schreiner. Uh, Patrick is a professor at uh, associate professor in New Testament and biblical theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He previously taught at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and before that, he uh, received his PhD from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of several books: um, "The Body of Jesus," a spatial analysis of the kingdom of uh, of the kingdom in Matthew, the kingdom of God and the glory of cross. Uh, Sorry, the kingdom of God and the glory of the cross. Also, Matthew, disciple and scribe, the first gospel and its portraits of Jesus. And also uh, another book called The Ascension of Christ, Recovering a Neglected Doctrine, which was, is the focus of this podcast slash YouTube conversation. Uh, we spend at least the last half talking about the importance of the ascension of Christ and all the various questions that that doctrine, doctrine raises. And I... Um, after talking to Patrick, I am convinced that it is a neglected doctrine, as the subtitle of his book um, says. It's, it's something that I don't think we have uh, considered as a separate, um, essential theological uh, category of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we get into that. But it takes us a while to get there. We talk about lots of stuff related to um, the Southern Baptist uh, Church and uh, evangelicalism, and we even touch just briefly on race conversations and CRT and, and so on and so forth. So I'm very excited for Patrick to be part of this uh, show. And again, this show is both a podcast and a YouTube uh, channel. So if you're on YouTube you, and you want the audio version, you can go to my podcast, Theology in the Raw, through Spotify, Apple iTunes, whatever, all the places where podcasts are sold. Um, and if you're on the podcast, you want to watch it, you can go to my YouTube channel, just uh, punch in, press and sprinkle, and it should take you there. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw, where you get access to premium content in, ref in return for your support of the show. Every month, I record a lengthy Q&A podcast for my Patreon-only supporters. So if you got lots of questions and you miss, uh, some of you emailed me and tell me you missed the, the Q&A podcast that I used to record for Theology Nara. Well, guess what? I am still recording those every month. I record um, two different Q&A podcasts for my Patreon supporters. So if that is of interest to you, then again, that uh, you can click on the link in the show notes, uh, patreon.com forward slash Theology Nara. All right. Let's talk about the ascension of Jesus Christ with the one and only Dr. Patrick Schreiner. All right. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I am here with Dr. Patrick Schreiner, uh, or as I call him, Patrick, because doctors don't doctor each other. That's kind of weird. But Patrick, That's thanks right. so much for uh, being on Theology in the Raw. This is your first time, right? First time? Having yeah, you this is my first time, but I'm a, I'm a listener. I don't know if I call myself an avid listener because I was just telling you, you produce way too much content, which is great, <laughs> but I can't keep up. So I, um, I listen to many of your episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I, I try to, I've been trying to mix it up with like biblical studies, theology, even like just looking at passages of themes. And then obviously I do a lot of cultural issues and sexuality, but I, I've, I'm trying to record more episodes, but really diversify them so people can kind yeah. of pick and choose what they want to um, listen to. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I've really enjoyed hearing you talk to people on the converse, race conversation and then biblical scholars. Uh, we were just talking about Sandra Richter on yeah. um, like sexual abuse in the Old Testament, like someone who's an expert on those kind of issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like reading the Old Testament, trying to figure out what's happening. And I think we all are. Yeah. And she just brings such a helpful perspective. So I love when mm -hmm. I see things like that. I just listened to your um the BD on your Yeah. Well, that was, that was really, really helpful. I, I really appreciate his voice. So yeah, yeah. that was great. Do you yeah. know, do you know him? Cause I know, I mean, he was really in yeah. with the gospel coalition and Southern seminary circles and stuff. He probably wouldn't remember it, but we've ran into each other a few okay. times just in mixed circles, but it's usually been crowds of like, you know, 20 people in right. somebody famous's basement or something like okay. that. So, okay. Yeah. You're <laughs> somebody famous in small circles. Yeah. 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 He, I, that's the first time I, I've actually talked to him. I've, you know, known of him for a long time. And so I'll always, you know, I, I just, um, I really appreciate voices that, there was an article written a while back called From the Edge of the Inside, where, where they're kind of mm -hmm. in a distinct maybe subculture, maybe tribe, denomination, but they're not afraid to be kind of self-critical of yeah. things within that tribe that may, may be off. Um, I, yeah. If I can be honest, you strike me a little bit as that. I mean, you, you were very much groomed SBC world and everything, and yet – not yet, but I mean you um, – if there was like a poster child for the SBC, Patrick Shiner probably wouldn't be kind of the, I don't know. And I, I mean that, I mean that in a positive way, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, like you, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah. So I, I was trained in the SBC. My father teaches at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, and you know, I was coming out of college, uh, campus crusade for Christ into evangelism, leading Bible studies. I was a pastor at my church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just kind of looking for a school where they taught the Bible and I could trust what they said. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, my dad was at Southern and I got a free education there. And so I thought, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so I went there and it was a great experience. I mean, honestly, at Southern, you do get people who know the scriptures really well, who know their theology. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was different in the sense that a lot of people – kind of no one really challenged the professors. That was just mm -hmm. the culture there. I think that's a little bit of just Southern culture and a yeah. respect for authority figures too, not Southern seminary, but more um, down South, maybe a little bit culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you'd go through some pretty tough issues and everyone would sit there and kind of be like, yep, all right, we agree. And I'm like, whoa, like I've got some serious questions about this <laughs> just in terms of, uh, you know, I think when you challenge views that you might even hold after their challenge, you actually hold them in a better way. Mm -hmm. So moving to Western Seminary, I actually got my first teaching job at Western Seminary, which is um, kind of a bigger tent evangelical mm -hmm. school, even though evangelical is a weird word to use right now in terms of on the West mm -hmm. Coast, it's just a bunch of denominations are coming there. Calvary Chapel people, Pentecostal mm -hmm. people, um, Charismatic, and then Baptist, and mm -hmm. you've got a bunch of people there. So that was a great experience for me because not everyone in the class is basically held to the authority of scriptures, but on the secondary issues, they were truly secondary issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the obviously third tier issues, it was just kind of like, you know, shrug a little bit. So, mm -hmm. yeah. um, so now I'm back at an SBC school, which is great, but I think with everything going on in culture and disagreements, you know, I have... I, I tend to want to challenge my own thinking, like you said, and kind of be self-critical on some of the views that maybe 
I was taught or I've had, and you know, sometimes I end up back at the same place, but Mm -hmm. I think I have a better reason for having those views. So, um, I enjoy teaching by raising tough questions and because that's the way I learn. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, at Western, it was actually great. I mean, just kind of circling back because I had people really challenge my views there Mm -hmm. on some things because I was coming from a little bit more conservative circles than some of our students. And, um, I thought they brought up really good points and Mm. actually it's really nice to dialogue in the flesh with people (laughs) rather than like hearing, well, here's the summary of that view. And then you're like talking to someone you're like, man, this is a really godly person. And like, I really like this person and we disagree about this. And so in that sense, I think it was nice to, to expand kind of your view of the kingdom a little Mm. bit. Um, and I think we all, we all could work on that more and I, I need to continue to work on that. And some of the reasons I like listening to podcasts is I get to hear from people from different circles and see that, you know, the body of Christ, each group of people is contributing something unique to it. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a helpful way to think of it rather than thinking about, well, we don't like them because they don't do this. What about we point out what we like about them mm-hmm. and how they're a helpful voice for us? Yeah. And so that each we could say denomination or institution or group kind of brings a different gift to the table. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's just so good. And, and even like uh, we were talking offline, but I, I've never been part of the SBC, but I've got many friends that are, and, and I've been in, spoken at churches and so on. And, and one thing that people outside the SBC sometimes don't realize is that there is a lot, quite a bit of diversity within the SBC. I mean, even, you know, we talked about different that's seminaries, right. you know, Southern Seminary or Southeastern or, um, Midwestern where you're at now, like the, each one has its own kind of vibe, its tone, its kind of ethos. And, um, yeah. w- would that be a right? I mean, again, I'm, I'm kind of saying that as an outsider, would you say that there's probably a lot more even theological diversity or posture diversity within the SBC than maybe people outside don't, don't realize? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, so we're all confessional schools. So the Baptist faith and message is our confessional document. So all the professors should sit inside that. And I think mm-hmm. that's good because you kind of have a foundation from which to start. Mm-hmm. But what happens sometimes, and, and I, I want to say, like, I'm really thankful for a lot of the things that the SBC does. And and I'm actually, this is why I'm a part of the SBC. I mean, local church autonomy, credo baptism, mm-hmm. um, the, the partnership for missions, both yeah. overseas. I mean, like, all the SBC is doing is getting people together who are like-minded and saying, let's do this together. Let's reach people together. Now, obviously, as you grab people and get them together, then you're going to have some squabbling and so forth and so on. But on the best days, the SBC is unified and they come together and they're seeking the kingdom of God and seeking to spread the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's a lot to be said for... I think younger people like myself, um, pressing into institutions rather than pressing out. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty popular to get away from institutions because we don't like this, that detail. Um, but you know, we, we, I think we all were made to partner. And so we're either going to have to create other institutions and there's certainly time for that. There's a time when an institution maybe needs to die or we need to rethink that institution. But we're all, we all want to partner with people. We, we don't want to be lone rangers. So um, I don't even, now I can't remember what you asked in terms, oh yeah, diversity in SBC. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I think what happens is you have these confessional documents but how you parse out some of those details in terms of the application of those things, you can have some diversity in there. And what sometimes happens 
for for like an SBC is one person will say one thing and say, well, this is this interpretation of mm -hmm. this issue. Um, and, and you'll find that, well, well, maybe some people in SBC don't agree with that. Or maybe a lot of people don't, but they have the loudest voice. And so mm -hmm. they're coming along and saying it, it sounds like, oh, the whole SBC thinks this. Well, that's not necessarily true. So yeah. right now, for example, um, you know, the race conversation is huge in the SBC. And there are like three to four different people running for president right now. And they all have slightly different stances on that race, race conversation. Mm -hmm. So what's going to be really interesting in June, I think it is, at the SBC meeting is who's going to be elected the next president will kind of be a barometer for where the SBC stands on some wow. of those things. And so, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see because honestly, I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> can you, <laughs> you know, people, can you help us? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was at the race conversation and, and I, I didn't plan on talking about this, but um, again, I haven't followed the SBC in the race conversation, but I've heard wildly different views on where the SBC is at. And it usually depends on the person I'm talking to. Some will say, oh, they're full on SJW, CRT, you know, embracing yeah. all this. And other people say, oh, they're just demonizing CRT. I'm like, well, which one is it? Are they for it or against it? Do they even know? Do you even know what CRT is? You know, um, <laughs> can you help? I mean, and again, I don't have really the time or necessarily the interest to do a bunch of research to figure yeah. out where it's at. Yeah. But is there a reason why I'm confused on, on that or why people are giving wildly different interpretations of, of, I don't know, how, how would you describe the SBC's involvement in the race conversation from somebody who's in the SBC? Yeah, I mean, I'm coming from a white evangelical perspective, and I'm a little confused myself as well. Um, you know, I think people are concerned and right. I, I haven't studied the issue of CRT as much as I should. So yeah. just I'm speaking largely from ignorance. Mm -hmm. um, but I've looked into it a little bit. I just mm -hmm. need to spend, I think, more time with it to speak uh, more intelligently mm -hmm. on it. Um, I think people are concerned uh, in a good way that CRT becomes kind of a holistic worldview. Okay. And so um, the SBC actually came out with like a resolution about CRT, which I thought was pretty careful. And you can look that up. It's like mm -hmm. resolution nine or something like that or five. Mm -hmm. And they basically said if this becomes a totalizing worldview, that's not helpful, which okay. – I think that's true for any outside worldview that you're thrust. Like we have a totalizing worldview in the scripture. We have a meta narrative in the scripture. Yeah. But then that resolution also said there's probably things within CRT which can be helpful for us as we think through how we interact in a modern society with racial animosity and with um, racism mm -hmm. kind of baked into our systems and our, mm -hmm. and our institutions. And so – I thought that resolution was personally, and I don't think, I don't know if everyone in the SBC agrees with this, but we had a resolution on it, which again, who, who even knows what that means? Kind of, I, I sometimes get confused if that's the whole SBC coming behind yeah. it. Um, but I thought it was a pretty balanced view of it. Um, I would say, I think we need to do more listening to our black and brown brothers and sisters mm -hmm. because it, you know, sometimes we can just assume that there's a certain worldview coming if you hear certain like right. social justice or whatever it is. And I, I think we just need to talk to one another, you know, like mm -hmm. let's sit down and like discuss these things. Um, because it, it just feels like online there's a lot of grenades being launched at one another, which is totally not helpful. Yeah. Is that Axe is your, is that, was that the subject of your dissertation or is that more of a recent focus? No, that, 
that's I'm actually reading through it again because I'm editing a commentary right now on it. So I have a 700 page commentary coming out in it next year. Wow! Whoa! Wait for which series? So it's the old Knack series, New American Commentary series. Yeah. You know the red and blue. Yeah, yeah. They're redoing that series and making the covers better, which I'm very happy about. <laughs> I like that. I like that series. Um, yeah, I do too. It's it's a good series. Are they going to rename it though, New American or no? Yeah, it's um it's called the Christian Standard Commentary because it's using the CSB Bible. Oh, perfect. Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah that series has a good I feel like balance between careful exegesis, but it's not so deep and thorough that you just get lost, you know? Um, right. Uh, in so that, it, but yeah, that comes out of SBC, but it's a wider commentary than just SBC authors. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's kind of fun because I'm writing within the tradition, but we have authors that sit outside the SBC in that series. So what, what was your dissertation again? And I, I want to ultimately get to your book on the Ascension. That, that, was, a, that was the main reason why I wanted you to come on the podcast. Yeah. We got locked, <laughs> lost in the, we go. all these other cultural right. conversations. But um, yeah, so tell us about your dissertation just briefly and then maybe the work you've been yeah. doing, some interests of yours uh, since then. Yeah, so my dissertation, I don't want to get into the weeds too much here, again, yeah. to spare your listeners, but <laughs> I was interested in um, the space or, or the locale of the kingdom That's right. in Matthew particularly, uh, because I thought we talk about the kingdom and we're like, well, it's the sovereignty of God. And I'm like, that's a systematic theology concept, which is great, but that's not what the kingdom is. The kingdom is a new city, a new realm, a new place, a new land. So I wanted to think about how the kingdom was present now mm-hmm. in a space spatial sense or a okay. place sense. So I actually looked at a bunch of geographers and philosophers and tried to think through what is space and place? How do you change it? And um, I applied kind of a theory of space and place to the gospel of Matthew to try to think through how does Jesus bring the kingdom of God if it's already not yet, or the kingdom of heaven, as he says, um, kingdom of heaven now. And I basically landed on, well, it's through Jesus's body. And as he, his presence touches other people, then the kingdom spaces are created. Now that okay. won't be in full, but it, like, if you've watched, it's funny because I got to Western and Bible project, like released a video that summarized my dissertation, like five minutes, you know, I'm like, oh, perfect there. Now I didn't have to do that work. <laughs> um, but like they have videos where Jesus like touches people. And then there's like this circle that goes around them. You know what I mean? Like he heals that space too. Oh. And so I was a lot sociologically, like when he heals people, they're reintroduced into society to Mm -hmm. actually function in a flourishing way. And that's all based on Jesus's body, like literally his human body. But then according to Matthew, that presence is also given to the church. So it started with Matthew and then I did another book on Matthew and now Acts is my new thing. So, so going back to your dissertation though, so, so is there like a, some, we, did you explore or expand upon? I'm just, I've never thought about this in these terms until you just said that, but the, the relationship between like the kingdom of God and the renewal of creation, like these two really important themes, it sounds like you're saying that these are very much in, intertwined in the individual acts of Jesus bringing the kingdom to earth, so to speak, or. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's giving pictures of the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God coming to earth. And that will be finally consummated on the last day with the new heavens and new earth coming down to earth. So I was pressing into that. I mean, you have a new book on embodied reality. It's it's an embodied thing. Mm-hmm. But I was also looking socially at, um, you know, when we think of space, we only think of physical space. Mm-hmm. 
but we also have ideological space. So there's spaces where you have raw conversations. Like this yeah. is an ideological space where we talk about Christianity mm -hmm. and culture and, and different things on this podcast. Um, but city planners and geographers and philosophers are also talking about this thing called third space where you can actually change. <laughs> now I'm getting into it, Preston. <laughs> do it, man. Do it. Or you can actually change how spaces and people interact in those spaces. Uh -huh. And it's almost like the the not yet or what it can be. And you know, it actually, that concept didn't click for me until somebody gave the Rosa Parks example where she recognized that changing a physical space will change culture. Wow. <laughs> so she sat down on the bus and would not get up trying to change culture by the physical bus seat. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so she was trying to create by that a third space. And she did ultimately, I mean, it took time and we're still working on it. Right. Mm -hmm. But she did by saying, I imagine we're up time where I don't have to go to a certain part of the bus or however it worked. I don't remember all the details of the story, but, um, she protested in that moment. And I think in many ways, Jesus is going around looking at pain and sickness and death Mm -hmm. and um, social ostracization and marginalization. And he's saying, I imagine these spaces differently and I'm going to make wow. that happen. So That's really cool, man. And I, I, it doesn't sound very typical in, in kind of the assumptions people have about the kingdom of God or even the focus or concerns of Jesus. Um, is that is that in a popular level book or is it just tucked away in your the dissertation archives? <laughs> yeah, it's in uh it's not popular because it's LN you know you might know what this is, LNTS. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. I just saw on Kindle right now it's twenty dollars on Amazon. So if you're interested, go for it. <laughs> oh, that's how, I think my dissertation's like a hundred dollars or something. And it's, <laughs> yeah. I have like two reviews on Amazon. It's it's killing it. It's killing <laughs> it. <laughs> so, okay, so let, let's move into your uh is this your latest book of the Ascension of Christ, or have you written one since then? Yeah, that's my latest book. Yep. So um the subtitle is Recovering a Neglected Doctrine. How, how, what does that mean? So how, how is the ascension of Christ a neglected doctrine? And I'm just trying to throw, throw you a softball here, but yeah, I'm really, I'm curious. I remember yeah. when I came across the book, I haven't read it yet. Um, yeah. But I was like, ascension of Christ. I was like, but it was a subtitle. Like, whoa, what do you? We all believe in the ascension, right? I mean, everybody believes he yeah, rose yeah, yeah. from the dead and went up to heaven. So what what about this is neglected? And I had some ideas. And I'm like, oh, he's probably going to say this, this, and that. So anyway, so yeah. No, you um, probably have better ideas than I do. You can write the next book <laughs> yeah, on the right. ascension. Um, so one of the examples I love to give from actually church culture is that, you know, e e well, let me start with, yeah, let me start with church culture. Um, when we think about Christ's work, even our low church traditions in terms of our holidays, what do we celebrate, right? We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. Mm -hmm. We celebrate Good Friday, Jesus's death, and then we celebrate resurrection. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in a low church tradition, you, you usually follow those. If you're in a higher church tradition, you're going to keep going. And actually struck me, what do we think about Easter Sunday? We think that's the victory and that's the end. Now yeah. it, it is the victory, but according to actually church calendars from the past, Anglicans, Catholics, other higher church traditions, there's 40 days after that, there's Ascension Sunday, and then a week after that, there's Pentecost Sunday. Hmm. And I got, I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know, they're actually teaching us something about Christ's work, that Christ's work is not complete after the resurrection, but we kind of think it is. 
Because mm-hmm. when we talk about the gospel, if we even get to the resurrection, that we, first we need to get to the resurrection, right? Yeah, right? In terms of the new life. But Jesus's work is n- like the ascension is not just a rubber stamp upon the resurrection. It's an event in its own right. And you know it's an event in its own right because it's narrated as a different event. In Luke, uh, in John, Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me. I still need to ascend to the Father. And so um, this certainly they're a part of the same like singular script in terms of the victory of Christ, the vindication of Christ. So one of the reasons I think we neglect it is because there's times in the New Testament where, where, where they'll just say the exaltation of Christ. And I think they're talking about the resurrection and the ascension, mm-hmm. but we just think about the resurrection. That's all we think about. We just mm-hmm. say, well, the yeah, the exaltation of Christ, well, that's or the victory of Christ, that's just his, um, he's rising from the dead. But the resurrection and the ascension are different and that the resurrection proclaims that Jesus lives in that forever. The ascension proclaims that Jesus reigns in that forever. So the famous, I'd love to hear what you think in terms of other things we could hit on, but the, the Acts 1, right? When the disciples ask, are you going to restore the kingdom uh, uh, of Israel at this point? And Jesus is like, no, not at this time. And then he ascends and they're kind of looking and the angels come and they say, what are you doing looking into heaven? Like you got to get going, basically. I think a lot of times we're in the same place as the disciples. We're a little confused about why Jesus needed to ascend because we know the best end state is to be with Jesus in bodily form. But if he's already victorious, why, why did he ascend to the heavens? Like what, what, is that good? Is that like just waiting time? Is he just up there kind of twiddling his thumbs, waiting for all enemies to be put under his footstool? So so my book wants to press in and say, no, no, this is a really important kind of climax, actually, to Jesus's work. This is something that we have to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's not only that, but Jesus continues to work in heaven. He's a better, I structured as prophet, priest, and king. He's a better prophet, priest, and king. Mm-hmm. Um now that he's in heaven. So on earth, he was a prophet, priest, and king, but he's actually been thrust into a new gear in heaven in that yeah. sense. What, what, I'm curious, uh, so many passages are coming to mind. I was thinking about Psalm 110, but I don't know if that... Yep. Yeah, yeah. Is it, well, But then I thought, no, wait a minute. What about Daniel 7 when yep. Daniel sees one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he approached the ancient of days... And it was given to him authority to rule and glory in the kingdom and those of every people, all this stuff. If we want to get really specific and kind of chronological, this event, the Son of Man approaching the ancient of days and receiving the kingdom, isn't that the ascension? Like he yes. goes back totally sits right, and, and he goes to the right hand of the Father and the Father goes, yeah. here you go, here's your kingdom. So is that is that a right assumption that the, the, the Daniel yeah. 7 vision, which is essential to New Testament theology, Daniel 7 is. I mean, I think, so you have, in my kingship chapter, you have three hot spots in the New Te- or Old Testament in terms of they quote it all over the mm-hmm. place or allude to it. Daniel 7, Psalm 110.1, and Psalm 2. And guess what? All of those texts, I think, are about the ascension. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is all, we're, I love those texts because you're actually getting, well, at least with Psalm 10, 110.1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all enemies your footstool. Psalm 2, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Mm-hmm. You're getting the speech that happened when Jesus ascended. Like you're entering the heavens and the father is looking at the son and saying, you are my son. Today I've begotten wow. you. This is a picture 
of the king. I mean, this is what I tell my kids, like this is coronation day frozen, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) become becoming king. Like this is, or queen, this is, this is what's happening. Right. And so, yeah, I, in that text, Daniel seven, I mean, if you go down to verse 14, what does it say? So that all kingdoms and nations and people groups might serve him. So that every people, nation, language should serve, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. His kingdom will be one that will not be destroyed. That's right. So you, you only have I mean, the way I like to talk about with Acts is we talk about the mission to the ends of the earth. That's based on the mission of the Son of Man to the right hand of the Father first. You only have a mission to the ends of the earth because Jesus has been enthroned as king overall. There is a shift in the New Testament that happens at that point. Now, throughout the whole Old Testament, there's people that are being welcomed in, but the official go and tell, Matthew 28, Acts 1, happens at after the ascension. <laughs> now, Matthew 28 is confusing because he actually doesn't ascend there, but he alludes yeah. very clearly to Daniel 7 with all authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. That's Daniel 7. He's yeah. he's prolifically talking about the ascension as he says, I'm going to be with you always going to the ends of the earth. Well, I'm also thinking about the um, upper room discourse in John 14 to 16, where I must go away. Yep. I don't know that the exact language so that I could send the spirit. Yep. He doesn't say I must just rise from the dead, but I must like, right. Is there, I mean, I must leave so that the spirit would come. And part of me is like, well, can't you both just hang out with us? You know, Jesus, you and the spirit doing the, you know, dynamic (laughs) duel, but for whatever reason it's built into Jesus's message that for me to go is necessary for the spirit to come. And he says, he says, it's better that I go. I think John 16, seven or 17 or 16, seven. That's a crazy paddle. I don't know to do with that. Yeah. That's crazy. So, why is it, and this is what I had to meditate on, why is it better that he goes away? And why John 14, 12, he says, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Yeah. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the, because I'm going to the father. To father. And I'm like, oh, that's based on ascension. So I had to meditate on that. Mm. And he, here's what I came to. I could be wrong, but here's what I came to. It's better that we have this spirit because Jesus was limited by his body, his physical body. So Jesus traveled a very small amount of space on this earth. Like if you think, if you pull out a map and a globe and put your fingers around where Jesus traveled, like your fingers are an inch apart, right? (laughs) Depending on the size of the globe, obviously. Um, But the spirit is able to indwell every single believer and it's the spirit of Jesus. So the people who have the spirit can do greater works than Jesus because they can more expansively spread Christ's work because they're more widely dispersed. We have people who have the spirit of Jesus in China, in South America, in Japan, in Australia, you know what I mean? Like all of Russia, all across mm-hmm. the world. And they have the same spirit of Jesus, the same spirit that anointed Jesus at his baptism, who empowered him to do works of healing and, and works of proclaiming the word of God. So it's really wow. important that we get the spirit because that work can actually expand in a new way. And then I would say, second, it's greater works because it refers to the prophetic role after Jesus's completed work. We're not just pointing, Jesus is pointing at himself. We're pointing back to what Jesus has done on the cross. Mm-hmm. So there's also an eschatological reality, but it's better that he goes away because the spirit era is a better era. Jesus says, so like, mm-hmm. This is what I tell my students, and this this still shocks me. I'm like, would you rather be a disciple of Jesus or would you rather live now? 
And everyone's like, disciple of Jesus, of course, right? Yeah. Like, but not according to John. Yeah. Like John says it's better. And I, I think I still struggle with that in one way because we're, so, we're still waiting to be with him. <laughs> but I, I just have to respect Jesus's words that he says, no, it's better if I go away for now. So I, I, we've got to wrestle with that. I, I've always struggled with those two. Yeah, the, the, the two verses in John 14 to 16, the, the, the two that you referenced, uh, chapter 16, it's better that I go away. And then 14, 12, greater works you will do. Like greater yeah. works than Jesus. But which, so, so I think the, the body is doing greater works in the sense than the head because they can spread out and do them more. Okay. Do, do you think that that, I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, um, but my, and, and I would say I'm, 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 I don't know what this means, but lowercase c charismatic, whatever. Yeah. I, bl- I believe the sign right. gifts are for today, even though like, I don't, um, some, uh, many times I feel like they're not, I, I don't want to get into that, but do you think that that verse, that verse is talking about, look, Jesus did miraculous works by the power of the Holy Spirit, you also will have the same Holy Spirit. You're going to do even more yeah, in a sense because you're not one body like I am. You're the multi-global body doing yeah. these yeah. works. But it, but it is kind of, it is an argument, I guess, in favor <laughs> of, of what's science. the term uh, against yeah. cessationism or whatever. Right. So you could interpret it under a non-charismatic way or a more charismatic way. But it sure seems like when he says greater works than these, well, Jesus is what, healing the blind, yeah. causing them to walk in. We're like, wait, are we seeing this? Well, I do think we see that worldwide in terms of what believers are doing mm-hmm. through the power of the Spirit. So I, I think we individualize this. <laughs> yeah. So we're okay. like, I, oh, yeah. I want to do greater works. But what about the body of Christ doing greater works? That's kind of the point I'm trying to get to. Okay. No, that's helpful. I've often, just as you're talking, I thought of... um. And this is we're just all over the place in scripture. At the end of Ephesians one, yeah. um, where it talks about the fullness of of Jesus, well, the fullness of God in Christ in the body, which is His church. Oh, this is another ascension <laughs> passage. Actually, I didn't realize. Yeah. So subjective uh, everything. One, here's my point: when you see the ascension, you'll see it everywhere. <laughs> you start seeing it everywhere. <laughs> in uh, chapter one, verse twenty, Ephesians one twenty, he just demonstrated God, the Father demonstrated His power in the Messiah by raising Him from the dead and seating yeah. and seating Him at the right hand in the heavens, um, yeah. far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, and every title given, not only in this age but also the age to come. And He put everything under His feet. And here's here's where I've always this this, this the end of Ephesians one's blown my mind. And he's appointed, God the Father has appointed Jesus as head over everything for the church, which is his body. But then he says, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way or fills all in all. And that's the design, yeah. filling yeah. language throughout Ephesians. But what this says is that the fullness of God dwells in the body of Christ post ascension, which mm-hmm. I never even thought about this passage linked to kind of what we've been talking about, that it's better for him to go so that the spirit can dwell in in a corporate global body of Christ but he says yeah. that's that's the fullness of Jesus. Yeah. And that's I think it lines up with John 14 perfectly that we are to go and fill the world with his presence. Mm. And that language is coming from Genesis and uh the like go fill the earth, right? Mm. And they were in Exodus and they're multiplying filling the earth. This is the original command. This is the creation command. And you know what? You know who can't do it? We can't do it, but Christ can. And as Christ lives in us, 
we go out and we still, that's the original creation mandate. We fill the earth with his presence. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what's shocking about that though, is it's, it's both Jesus. This is the mystery of union with Christ. It's both Christ filling all things, but it's also his body because the head cannot be disconnected from the Mm -hmm. body now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's where it's like blowing our mind that the head is in heaven and the body is on earth. Mm-hmm. And the body is the hands and feet of Jesus filling the earth with his presence. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that should be encouraging to Christians as, and you're, you're like, oh, so that means doing like all these amazing things. Well, what if it's just spreading a word of comfort? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like not just, but it's like, it's, you're actually bringing Christ to people or saying your sins are forgiven mm-hmm. as you repent in Christ. Like that's bringing the body of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's filling the earth with his presence in that sense. So, yeah. um, I mean, we could get more charismatic than that and talk about the sign gifts. Yes. But I think we also want to think about the, the power of the word and the truth that as we bring healing and peace, shalom to people, that is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all thing in every way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I was just, uh, reading Ephesians this morning and like just the or Ephesians four and like just the, mm-hmm. the emphasis on unity within diversity. And I, and I think ethnic yep. diversity is a huge thread woven throughout. I mean, one through four, but especially two, three and four. Um, but that, what you said, like each, each within that diversity, you could have one who's, you know, a, a, a Billy Graham evangelist, another person who spreads words of comfort that's to right. his neighbors. And, but like, that's the, the whole right. point is we need the diversity. Not everybody should have the same kind of maybe visible, like just like celebrity kind of, not celebrity, but I mean, just like sometimes we yeah. can get, I think, have this un, kind of unbiblical hierarchy of kind of gifts when the very definition of this diversity of gifts is mm-hmm. the diversity. Like we, we need the things that seem small, the things yeah, that yeah. seem big. Yep. And, and that's part of the beauty of the, of the body of Christ. Um, yeah. And you know, Ephesians four has the ascension when he ascended on high, right? right. <laughs> What's your <laughs> take on that? Again. I just, I literally just was looking at that this morning again. Um, yeah. That's such a weird verse. And he quotes Psalm 68, weird. 18, Psalm I think. 68. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is referring to the ascension. He took captives captive. Yes. So this is where I went back and forth on that. One time I taught Ephesians, I said, um, now this gets into the descent to the dead too, because it's talking about his descent. Um, But I think for a while there, I argued the descent to the dead was he took captives captive as in he brought the Old Testament saints up to the father because they were resting Abraham's bosom in Sheol which is not the place of torment. You know, there's the underworld, which is divided. So that would be a positive view. He took Abraham and his children up to the father because now he's ascending. Mm -hmm. Um, But based on Psalm 68, I think he takes captive captive. That's like a triumphal procession. Yeah. And he's actually, um, it's like first Peter when he's wagging his finger at the um, (laughs) sons of God, the angels and saying, I won, I'm victorious. You've maybe read Second Temple literature. Yeah. You know, there's in First Enoch, there's like multiple levels of heaven. So some of them say he took these angelic beings and he threw them into like the different seventh heaven or fourth heaven. I don't remember what it was, which is another kind of holding cell for them. So probably the best image that that comes to mind is a Caesar returning from his city, carrying his captives. He would bring them up to the Capitol and he'd step on their neck and like chop off their heads or their thumbs or whatever and said, I just conquered them. That's the picture we have when Christ ascended on high, he's actually conquering. But I think he's conquering not people, but 
spiritual forces. That's mm. Ephesians is spiritual forces. What are we fighting against? We're not fighting against one another. We're fighting against the forces of death and darkness. So the so the, again for our listeners, this is uh, Ephesians four eight. Um, yeah, where it just kind of goes into a little tangent about the ascension of Jesus ascending on high, and it says he took prisoners into captivity. Or the the word there is it's the same word. It's he took captives, yeah. captives into captivity, captive. or so he took captives yeah. captive. So you're saying the captives could be believers that he bought back, or it could be spiritual enemies that he yes triumphed over. And you're you're leaning yep. towards the triumph. Triumphing over the triumph, and even he gave gifts to his people. When a when a conquering general or Caesar would come back in a triumphal procession, they would shower gifts that they ga- gathered from these other lands upon the people. Like, look at all this booty that we got. You right, know what right. I mean? Like, and they they'd give them the coins and all these uh, uh, this armor, and and so that's the imagery he's giving. So I think the captives captive mm-hmm. is probably negative. I could go back and forth. I mean, this is. Very similar, is it Second Corinthians four, where yeah. Paul's being led in the triumphal procession himself? Uh, t- uh, two, I think it's Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians two. two, that's right. Yeah, but he talks about it in a way where he's like, "I am the dead one, but spreading life," right? <laughs> Which is such a cool imagery. He's like, "I have the the stink, the aroma of death on me," but to those who understand, it's the aroma of life, because this is Jesus taught us the way to life is through death. Okay. Wow, gosh. Well, that's that's a lot of stuff. So so the descent into the lower parts of the earth. I got two questions about that. Um Yeah, so so this so I I I I'm glad you said it about 1 Peter 3 cuz 1 Peter 3 talks about Jesus preaching to the yeah. spirits I think now in prison or spirits in prison and yeah. I think that I I think that's clearly him announcing victory over the I would yeah. even say specifically the Watchers from Genesis yes. six. Genesis six, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, um, and 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 that's again, as if you're a Second Temple Jew, you, there's no real dispute about that. It's it's modern yeah. Christians who who wonder about that. Right. Are you saying that that's basically what's being even more subtly referenced here in Ephesians four, yeah. the descending to the lower yeah, parts? Yeah, you know, yeah, no, most people don't take it this way, but I think it just it it fits so well with the rest of our Bible. Most people take he descended to the lower parts of the earth and as the incarnation. But I think in Ephesians, the whole theology of Ephesians is that Christ has conquered in every realm. Mm. And so, like, that's the spiritual realm. So to say he descended to the lower parts of the earth, he could have just said to the earth. (laughs) But he actually modifies it with the lower parts of the earth according to their cosmology, how they viewed the world. There was the heavens, there was the earth, and there was the underworld. And I think Ephesians 4 is saying Christ was on earth. He's in the heavens, and he even went down to the lower parts of the earth and conquered there too. So no space that you know of, we're back mm-hmm. to the space conversation, right? No space <laughs> that you know of has not been conquered by Christ. Oh, that's beautiful, dude. That, that's uh, I, So you you mentioned ancient cosmos. I was actually going to ask you about that. That was my second question. So um, yeah, that makes sense. And I, it, it's what's interesting is this is even in the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> yep, yep. Like, which is the most stripped down, basic, like here are kind of the essentials of the faith. And part of that is his, right? I forget the language, but descending to Hades, right? Yeah, it's descending to the dead. But you should read my friend Matt Emerson's book, He Descended to the Dead. Uh, He's done a lot of work on this. And what he pointed out is the original Latin is has been translated. He descended to hell, but it's actually he descended to the dead. Oh, the dead, not Hades, not or Tartarus. Well, I mean, it's. You know, um, 
I don't remember all the language. <laughs> like, I just remember that I've researched it enough that where it says he descended, the original translation was he descended to the dead, not okay. to hell. Okay. So I think we've got it a little confused. Hell, this is actually where we get confused about heaven and the new heavens and new earth too. Yeah. Um, he- heaven is an intermediate state. Right. And and so is Sheol or right. Hades or the realm of the dead. The final end state is hell, hell and new heavens and new earth. Right. Right. In that right. sense. Yeah. So when it says he descended in the creed, and we tra- a lot of times we translate it to hell, I don't think he went to that final state, whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he went down to the realm of the dead, which it seems like Christians throughout the centuries have actually affirm that. And it's evangelicals more recently who have been like, well, we don't like this descended to hell language. Even Calvin was like, that's probably what's going on in the cross. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. There's enough verses where there's the sign of Jonah and Matthew 12, there's Ephesians 4, there's 1 Peter 3. And I'm even forgetting some. There's Acts 2, that the cords and um, uh, of Sheol cannot yeah. entangle him. Uh, and, and so there's just enough verses. I think that it's really important, not only that he ascended, but that he descended before that. So wait, wait. But, so yeah, what happened between his death and resurrection? Is that uh, when you say he yeah. went down to the realm of the dead? Does that is that just a synonym for he actually died? He went the way of all humanity. Or are you yeah, saying, yeah. He, and, and he died like every human being. And I think. I think his soul went down to the realm of the dead. I think this affirms that we have souls. And there was a debate in early Christology. Is it Apollinarianism? Where, where they debated whether he had so, uh, a soul. And so they actually included this in many of the creeds to affirm yeah. that he had a soul. So he went down as a soul. <laughs> it's getting complicated, right, Preston? Here we go. Dude, keep going, um, man. This is good stuff. I mean, it's in the creed. It's in the Apostles' Creed. This is like yeah, what children yeah. in running in the streets in the third century would talk about, you know, <laughs> on the way home from school. Yeah. <laughs> so he went down as a soul and he proclaimed victory. I, this is the narrative, at least I think it is. I, you could you could put it together in a few different ways. He went down as a soul and he proclaimed victory. He was raised then from the dead three days later, received his glorified body, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. In Ephesians 4, they kind of compress that story a little bit. Mm-hmm. They don't get, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can do compressed versions of it. But I think that those three days, that's what Jesus was doing. He was declaring victory to the to the realm of the dead. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a big, like we don't have that same worldview in terms of the realm of the dead. So I think that's why we're a little confused about yeah. it. But it's really important that Jesus conquers. He conquered the spiritual forces on earth. He conquered the spiritual forces in the underworld. And now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And, you know, in Isaiah, is it Isaiah? Oh, gosh, where it's the, um, you know, it's talking about the king of Babylon, but we also think it might be Satan who tries to ascend yeah. to the heavens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. all Isaiah the spiritual 14. forces. Yeah, Isaiah 14, that's right. Uh, all the spiritual forces, that their goal all along has been to be crowned the highest king. Mm-hmm. But only, according to Daniel 7, is the human one. The beasts are, aren't the ones who are animated according to Revelation by the spiritual forces, right? Mm-hmm. The beasts, these non-kosher animals, mm-hmm. they're the ones that are trying to claw their way to heaven, but the truly human one, the humble one, is the one who ascends. What do you do with um, – this is the, the question I wanted to ask. And this is slightly different. This has to do with maybe science and even maybe inerrancy or inspiration. What do you do with the – 
the easy, the, the adoption of an ancient cosmology, you know, the things on earth and heavens on earth and under yeah. the earth. And he descended yeah, to the right. lower parts of the right. earth. But we know, or do we, <laughs> that if we drill the hole, then we're going to hit lava and rock. We're not going to enter into some cave of Hades. I don't think we will. I haven't tried it, but, you know, yeah. not planning to. Dude, don't, but I if mean, you dig far enough, they say you come out in China. That's what they told me as a kid. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, do, do we just say, and just to lay my cards out, I, I, I'm comf- I'm very comfortable with ancient writers adopting an ancient cosmology and not expecting them to have um, yeah. modern scientific knowledge. I don't personally think that conflicts with a, well, I would say a, a more, a better view of inerrancy. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. what, yeah, what, um, yeah, what what would your view on that? Like like when yeah, when, when Peter or when when Paul's writing this, like yeah, he maybe actually did think he literally went to the lower parts of the earth, or is he just playing right. on the worldview of the day? Or well, when you're describing spirit, I think all good views of inerrancy affirm this. When you're describing spiritual beyond our capabilities of understanding realities you use images and language that we would understand. That's analogical language. Hmm. And so is there literally a realm of the dead? I it Depends what you mean by literally. Yeah. I think there is a realm of the dead. <laughs> but is yeah. it physical? Well, I don't know because it's kind of a soulish place. You know, like it kind of goes beyond right. our conception of space and time in that sense. So... Yeah, you can't go as high as you can into the he- into the he- or, or heavens and find Jesus, just like you can't go down to the lower parts of the earth and find the realm of the dead. They were using up and down language because typically up meant towards God and down meant away from God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, that's the way language works. That's how we speak, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've ascended to the heights by selling this many books. I, I'm on top of it. What do I mean? I'm literally on top of a mountain when I'm like, man, I've had such a great day. I've just had this amazing high. Well, what what am I talking? You know what I mean? Like what we just smoking? use that same language too. Yeah. Um. And so we 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 use metaphorical language to describe our reality. Now, what were they actually thinking? Uh, that's a whole nother question, right? In, in terms of did he actually think there's a realm of the dead? Well, like you said, it doesn't even bother me if he thinks there was a physical realm of the dead. Mm-hmm. Because it's a it's a true concept. <laughs> it's not a non-true concept, right. but they just describe it as the underworld. So yeah. it, that, it's that's kind of the way I go with it. Similar to I mean, when we say sunset, I assume yep. the word sunset did derive from a time and era when they believed the sun did actually do right. the setting, and yet that has still had a lasting effect on our language today. And that it's an inexact parallel, but that could be similar to. Um, Paul here, the, the one that really is hard for me, and there's, there's several that are hard for me, is that one in Numbers when the, the earth opened up and swallowed, uh, I forget the tribe, <laughs> and, and it says they went down into Korah? Hades. And it, Korah, yeah. Yeah, the sons of Korah. And it's like, oh man, like that that seems yeah. to be building this cosmology into the very narrative where it's like, yeah, I want to say, no, they didn't actually fall into a the underworld cave, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Couldn't that be again, just metaphorical, like literally there was an earthquake and the earth opened up at God's command and swallowed them and the people can't see him anymore. And their worldview was, 
yeah, yeah. they go to Hades then. Like David even says, I don't want to go to Sheol. I don't want to go to Hades because I can't, I can't praise you in the same way in that realm. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Where she, so, Sheol is like a metaphor for just I'm dead. Like the I'm place dead, of the I'm, dead, yeah. Yeah, it's the place of the dead. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm all about – people get nervous when you talk about souls. They're like, oh, that's so platonic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, is it platonic? Mm-hmm. Um, I totally believe in embodied realities and that's the – final end state in the new heavens, new earth. We receive Jesus's incarnation affirms embodied realities. Um, Jesus's glorified body. Jesus's ascension affirms like he's still a man, right? Right. (laughs) He he brings his body up to the highest heavens. At the same time, um, man, the biblical worldview seems to have a a place for the soul too. Let me ask you this. Um, I've often thought about this too. Now I have an expert on the line I could ask. <laughs> um, we often say that, we, like, okay, so heaven is an intermediate state. It's where our, yeah. in, where our disembodied souls go uh, between our yeah. personal death and our future resurrection. Jesus is there, Philippians 1, if I die, I'll be with Christ. Jesus has a body. What, how, how do I imagine that? Like he has a physical body yeah. in a disembodied space where my disembodied soul is going to be with a bodied person. <laughs> like, have yeah, you thought yeah. about this? Is there yeah. an answer? Or is it just no, kind of one of those yeah, things I like, oh, we don't know how to piece I've it together? I've meditated on this way too long and I have no good answers. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I'll just say a few things. And number one, like Jesus has a, a glorified body. And so yeah. we're not entirely sure okay. what that's yeah. like. We do know he can go through walls <laughs> and he can eat fish. <laughs> that's about the only hints like he can still eat and they and he still has scars, right? Thomas touches his scars. Right. So there's something and that's an interesting thing to meditate upon upon like there's something real about our bodies here which might go into the eschaton. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they also don't recognize him and they do recognize him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. I'm I always look young. Maybe I'll look old when I'm finally old. But while I look young, I'm always in <laughs> in the new heavens and new earth. I don't know. Oh, now I'm, I'm getting off on it. But so when Jesus goes to the highest heavens, um, is that a place or is that beyond our, again, beyond? it's beyond our conception of a place. If he has a body, it kind of has to be a place. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, does it have to be a place? Because... <laughs> because he has a glorified body, so maybe it doesn't have to be in the same way. So I think I think we need to go back and watch the movie Interstellar more and think about like different realms and stuff like that, and, and get into the. <laughs> Holy into no! The, that, that no, that's because because I I do think we're with him in our souls, and he has a body. And that's about as far as we can speak. They weren't interested in giving a scientific like, well, this is how it happens. This is, I always like to say. Um, you know, when I was writing this book on the Ascension, I was actually preaching sermons on it. And I remember walking around outside, um, looking up into the sky. And it was a great day where a bunch of clouds were there. And I was just thinking about the disciples. And I was like, so what So what happened after he got outside of our atmosphere? <laughs> like, Did he need a spacesuit at that point? Like, all right, here you go. Let's hook you up and get you up here. No, that like going up was both a symbolic and real and historical reality. But we Evangelicals, I think, are a little bit hesitant to talk about the symbol of it. Um, yeah, well, it we, is truly symbolic and truly real, and we, yeah, we just, yeah, it just doesn't give us details in terms of how that worked out after he, like, mm-hmm. after the clouds took him to, well, where did he go? I, I, to, to the heavens, to the heavens. I don't know, like, what? I don't know what that means. <laughs> 
and you can hear my it does it does kind of the whole uh, idea of Jesus going up does in the first century context has a flat earth assumption which is interesting when you think about you know or Jesus returning the same way that he came well he's going to come from the sky well we just think like he's going to come to the American skies and not the China Chinese skies <laughs> even though that's on the other side you know or him going up from Palestine is actually going away from it's kind of going the opposite direction is the other side of the yeah I, I don't know it's just what and that's where we need expander so every eye will see him when he returns yeah how does that work right on our round <laughs> I have no idea yeah but I think the disciples could watch him go and we're gonna be able to watch him come yeah like the if <laughs> if God created space and how it's functions. I think he can kind of overcome that one and it'll be okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like that, it just doesn't seem probably like a big deal to him. he's like, I got yeah. this. Don't worry about it. Isn't it funny? The more, the more you learn, the more you study, the more degrees you get, the more years you study the Bible, the more questions you raise that you can't answer. And it's like, this is where, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do feel like I had more figured out 20 years ago, but part of it was I didn't, I wasn't asking nearly as many questions as I do now. Um, Maybe that's why we don't live to 750 anymore. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, real quick, um, I'm going to let you go. It's been over an hour, but tell us just briefly the book you're working on. You're working on now, right? A book on politics. Is that right? Or is it it done? It's, uh, yeah, first draft is almost together, but I want to think more and meditate more. So this is is really raw thoughts for theology in the raw. Nice. So I am working on a book on political discipleship, looking at the New Testament, and basically looking at how Jesus, Paul, or the church, and um, Revelation interacts with the empire. Mm -hmm. Because I found that a lot of people are doing work on the empire and how Christians interact with them, but they're not connecting it to our political discipleship as, as many people aren't doing that, that popular work. So I'm taking an academic conversation and trying to bring it to how we interact with the political realm in our modern day post-Trump era. <laughs> so my basic thesis is that, and I can give it in, in narrative or in kind of logical form. I could give it in narrative form first because it's easier to grasp, I think. When Paul goes into Thessalonica, he's accused of turning the world upside down and defying the decrees of Caesar. Mm-hmm. And actually that word of turning the world upside down, you could translate that as subverting the empire, actually, if you look at the Greek really carefully. Wow. And that actually goes with defying the decrees of Caesar. However, in Acts, Paul is also the one who appeals to Caesar, claims he's a Roman citizen, and declares that he's innocent of all charges against Caesar. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to take this idea of submission and subversion Mm -hmm. and say both of those actually go together. And what we've done is we've emphasized one or the other. Mm -hmm. So Christianity, the problem is Christianity has been either partisanized, partisanized, how do you say that word? Partisanized. Or private, yeah, or privatized, but it's fully political. Mm -hmm. It's fully political. But what we mean by political is that number one, yes, it's subversive to every other kingdom of this earth, Mm -hmm. but number two, it submits to every kingdom of this earth. And somehow those two actually go together. And what we need to do is figure out that paradox and that tension of Jesus's kingdom is not of this world, 
but Jeremiah says, seek the good of the city mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. can be a Roman soldier. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can do all these soldiers are welcome. It doesn't yeah. seem like you have to quit. So I'm just, I'm trying to kind of take that idea of subversion and submission and push it through the whole new Testament. And I think that actually works in revelation too. Mm-hmm. There's a very subversive protest element to it, mm-hmm. but what does he tell him to do in light of it? He says, have victory, but have victory by waiting Mm-hmm. By witnessing and by not worshiping the beast, mm-hmm. don't worship politics. Yeah. So, and then Paul, Paul's like another way to put it is Revelation thirteen and Romans thirteen must go together. Yeah, <laughs> right. Love that. Yeah. Like you have submit to them because they're appointed by God, but then it's also a beast. Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's also, uh, it's the spawn of Satan. And so, how why do we submit to the spawn of Satan? And like, what that doesn't make any sense. So that's the tension. I'm trying to kind of deal with and then take that to our modern political climate and say, Christians, we need to we need to think about how we interact with the governing authorities and that we can both be subversive and submissive at the very same time. And actually, I would say we're probably subversive through submission, mm. that they don't understand the, the rulers of this world don't like at, at the trial with Jesus. Pilate looks at him and he's like. You're a king, but you're innocent. I don't have the categories to understand what kingdom you're advocating for. Mm. So we've got to be in our post-Christian era, those who might come before courts, Mm -hmm. but they should be able to look at us and say, you're the best citizens we have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, that might not always work out. Like Paul, head chopped off. Jesus was crucified, right? So you Mm. might be condemned. But according to Acts... What you see is that Paul believes he's innocent. Mm-hmm. He's innocent of all charges. Mm-hmm. I have not defied the decrees of Caesar. I can even appeal to Caesar. Mm-hmm. I can go before the king of this empire mm-hmm. and say, I'm proclaiming another king, but guess what? He's not even after your throne. He's got a higher throne that goes way beyond you. He's actually placed you there so I can submit to you. So that's kind of like where I'm going towards. And then I want to draw a, mo- a lot of modern application. Is that uh Kevin, like Kevin Rose work, uh, world upside down. Doesn't he do something like that similar in, in yeah. Acts? Um, it's, it's taking Kevin Rose thesis and basically pushing it to the whole new Testament and then asking, okay. Um, how does that apply to our modern era? I, okay. I read Kevin Rose work and I was basically taken by it. Yeah. 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 You know, Joey. Yeah. You know, Joey Dodson. He, he's, yep. Yep. Yeah, he, he still gets on me for now. I, I've actually officially never finished the book and he, he doesn't understand oh, why so I never finished it. I'm like, dude, I, I don't finish most books I start, but I I love <laughs> the parts that I read and seems, yeah. whatever I read through Acts, I'm like, it does seem that this is an explicit point that they are subverting the empire, yet yep. they're, they've never done anything illegal. Like they've never yep. violated an actual law, even though they have right. disrupted culture and, and and the riot in, in um Ephesus is a classic example yep. you know the preaching of the exactly. kingdom crushes the the economy of this city which is based on idolatry and yet they, yep. they haven't done anything wrong they haven't done anything haven't illegal done anything wrong <laughs> yeah I, I maybe even Cabanero says this he says sedition like question mark no we're not here to be insurrectionists we're right. not here to storm the capital like you know what I mean like we're not here to do that but guess what we are? We're here for a new culture, yeah. which automatically challenges the ideology of the yes. day. Like, yes. so yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to put in the preface, basically, this is Kevin Rowe's thesis and I'm just <laughs> pushing it through. But I think it works in Jesus's life. I think it works in Revelation. I think it works in First Peter. 
Like it works in act. He just did acts. I'm just going to do the whole New Testament. Okay, cool, man. Dude, thanks yeah. so much for being on uh, Theology and Raw and uh, appreciate your work. Again, the book is The Ascension of Christ, Recovering the Neglected Doctrine. And also keep your eyes out for uh, Patrick's forthcoming book on uh, politics. I imagine probably out 2021, right? Or no, 2022 or? 2022 maybe? would be my, yeah, I think okay. it's 2022. Yeah. Okay. Well, dude, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me.